Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. Volatility is the price you've got to pay to enjoy the long-term capital growth that you know shares as an asset class deliver, and of course the income streams they deliver along the way. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much technological know-how we as human beings develop or have to help us. You know, we are driven by greed and by fear in the short term, and markets are emotional. You know, I think it was Buffett or Graham that said, you know, in the short run, they're a voting machine. In the long run, they're a weighing machine. G'day, and welcome back to Equity ASA. I'm Phil Muscatello, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the chair, Jordan Alicio from Perth Mint. G'day, Jordan. G'day, Phil. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So we're going to be talking about Gold, obviously, because you are from the Perth Mint and you are the um, Mr. Gold in uh, <laughs> in this context. So we're talking here on February 11, and overnight the US inflation figures have come out, and they're pretty strong. There's been a relentless surge in US inflation, which reached another four decade high last month. What's your views on this, and your views on inflation in general? Yeah, look, obviously it's been a, an incredible spike over you know really the last. 12 months. So if you go back to you know the start of 2021, year on year inflation rates in the US were closer. In fact, I think they might have even been still slightly below 2%. So it's not just the fact that they're now at sort of 7.5%, which is the highest in you know 30, 40 years. It's that they've moved so fast as well, you know, mm. from kind of less than two, which is typically below where central banks want inflation to be, to yeah. you know pushing above seven, which is clearly far higher than they want it to be, or you know households and citizens want it to be either as well, because their purchasing power is obviously you know falling very significantly, or their real wages and the like. Look, I think that in the short term we're probably getting closer to the top of the inflation cycle. I don't think we're going to see it stay at 75 you know, 7% across the whole year. And this is in the US as well. This is it? in the US, yeah. yeah. In Australia, it's, it's rising, but it's not as big a problem yet. Yeah. But I do think that what we've seen in the last 12 months marks the bottom of this kind of 30, 40-year cycle of, of lowering inflation. So, you know, if you sort of look at inflation over the, the very long run, it sort of peaked back in the late 70s, early 1980s. And for the majority of the last four decades, it had been declining. Mm. 
I think we're now basically at the end of that cycle. And again, this is not to say inflation is going to now stay at 7% per annum going forward, but I think it'll pretty comfortably average more than the 2 to 3% and even sub 2% that investors have got used to for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yep. And it's also been a problem for retirees as well, that they haven't been able to put their money into a safe place and just earn an income with a decent interest rate. Yeah, look, that's absolutely right. You know, if I can maybe even share a personal anecdote, our family, we had some commercial property, which we sold back around 2006, 2007. And, you know, I can very distinctly remember we could still get more than 7%, you know, Mm. in a term deposit back then, Mm. you know, once the, you know, the proceeds of the sale had, had come through. It's just a totally different world now for investors and for, yeah, as you say, retirees. Not just retirees, though, even like people trying to save for a house or whatever. You know, old days, you put some money in the bank, you'd earn some interest along the way. Now, you know, you're going backwards in real terms. You're also watching property prices go up. So it's just getting harder and harder to save for a you know house or, or save for anything, really. And that, you know, has a knock-on effect in the sense that it, it encourages slash forces people to take on more risk with their assets because if they want to keep up with inflation or they want to earn an income, you know, they can't just stick their money in the bank anymore. They've got to go and buy shares. They've got to go and speculate in other assets. So yeah, look, it's a real problem. And unfortunately, it's not one that's going to go away anytime soon. Mm. Are you a subscriber to the theory that inflation will be helped when uh, supply chains go back to normal and possibly the price of uh, fuel goes down? So look, I think definitely that'll help. So if you look at the breakdown of inflation, certainly it's been goods, like Mm. goods price inflation has been far more significant than services inflation over the last 12 months. So I don't think there's any doubt that as supply chain concerns kind of moderate or when they moderate, I mean, we're still not through COVID entirely, but when they moderate, you'd expect that some of that goods price inflation would ease off. And also, you know, look, energy prices are still very, very strong right now, but you'd expect they'll level off at some point. And so, yeah, inflation pressures will ease just as as some of that pricing pressure comes out. But again, it's not whether inflation stays at seven and a half. I don't think there's anyone that that thinks that's going to happen. It's whether inflation gets back to somewhere between two and three. And one of the things that's really interesting, I mean, the headline CPI numbers, the headline inflation numbers, they're the ones that we talk about. They're the ones that are in the news. But if you look at some of the projections for inflation five and 10 years into the future, you know, you can track these things if you know where to look. Right now, the market is is kind of saying, hey, we think inflation is going to drop to around two and a half, two point seven five percent over the next five to 10 years. So the market actually has this very, very sanguine view on inflation. It's basically acting like, yeah, it's a problem in the really short term, but we don't think it's going to be a problem over the next five to 10 years. I'm not sure that's accurate. I think that it will be a bit of a problem for for the time being. And again, I'm not saying it's going to average seven, but even if it averages three to four, that's double what it's averaged over the last 10 years. If it averages three to four and cash rates are at zero to one, let's say, you've got a real problem. And I think that might be the world we're, we're heading into. There's also been the issue of money supply, the amount of money that's been pumped into the economies of the world by governments. But at the same time, I'll just throw this um, stat at you that I just found out, that global central banks purchased 463 tonnes of gold in 2021, which is 82% higher than in 2020. So while they're printing money, they're also at the same time buying this safe hedge investment. Sorry, I'm not an economist. Is this how it works? 
I'll get to the central bank and gold bit in a second, but if you stop and think about gold, there are three or four primary sources of demand. So, you know, you've got industrial use, technology, medicines, aerospace, etc. You know, that's maybe 10 to 15% in any given year. You've then got people buying gold jewellery as a display of wealth, as a store of wealth, and that's typically somewhere between 40 and 50%. You then got private investors, you know, for example, ASA members that might be buying a gold ETF or gold bars. And then you've got central banks. And central banks have always been fairly significant players in the gold market. Globally, central banks own about 35,000 tonnes of gold, which is about 20% of all the gold that's ever been mined you know, across the course of human history. So they've always been big players in the gold space. If you look at that number for 2021, pushing up towards 500 tonnes of purchasing, is a very big increase from 2020. But it's important to contextualise the 2020 number was a fair bit lower because of COVID. So you saw central banks basically have to go out and support economies around the world. So they bought less gold in 2020 than what they normally would. And so the 2021 number, it's a huge spike, but it's a huge spike off a lower base, if that makes sense. But what's perhaps more interesting is if you go back really across the entire post-global financial crisis environment, so let's call it, say, since the end of 2008, 2009, Central banks have been buying every single year. They've been adding to their reserves on average by four to 500 tonnes. So kind of what we saw last year is a continuation of a trend that has been in place for over a decade now. That decade or that time period coincides with this era of zero or negative interest rates, coincides with this era of central banks, you know, printing money, expanding balance sheets, quantitative easing, whatever technical term you want to throw around it, coincides with this era of them taking more aggressive steps to intervene in financial markets and in the economy. So yeah, look, it's one of many things I think that speaks to the notion that gold's a safe haven asset and it's something that you, you know, might want to hold as part of your portfolio. Mm. So as a store of value, there's also been so much discussion about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies over the last few years. There seems to be a lot more volatility in that space as compared to precious metals. Yeah, look, that's right. I'd say this about Bitcoin. I've written extensively about it, both just looking at Bitcoin, but also comparing it to gold. And I've bought Bitcoin before, traded it, sold out of it. It clearly displays enormous volatility, both to the upside and to the downside. So as a speculative trading vehicle, you know, with capital, you're happy to risk. I can certainly understand why people like being in cryptocurrency or, you know, Bitcoin specifically, cryptocurrency more generally. It offers volatility that you just can't get in other places. But as regards it being a safe haven, I mean, typically when we say we want a safe haven, we want a safe haven against one of two things other parts of our portfolio crashing or inflation rising very significantly. So if you look at the inflation argument first, you know, we've got hundreds of years of history with gold that shows that over the long run it protects purchasing power and as a general rule it's a very good hedge against inflation. Not always, you know, it doesn't always go up when inflation goes up, but as a general rule it does. Bitcoin just doesn't have that history. And indeed, if you look at the last 12 months, Bitcoin prices are pretty much flat and that's the 12-month period that in the US, inflation's gone from almost nothing to 7%. So it's not a critique of Bitcoin per se, but it doesn't have that history as an inflation hedge. Moving on from the inflation hedge bit, and you then go, okay, well, how does it stand up or stack up whenever equity markets are selling off or volatile? You know, will it balance out my portfolio? Again, if you look at gold over the last 50 years, the periods that equity markets have been most volatile, gold has historically been the best performing asset in those environments. So it for want of a better term, has worked as a hedge against falling equities. 
Bitcoin's obviously only been around for roughly 10 years. In that time period, whenever equity markets have fallen, Bitcoin's not only tended to fall, it's tended to fall by more than the equity market has. So, you know, if you say, is Bitcoin a safe haven? I'd say, safe haven against what? If you want a safe haven against high inflation or against equity market corrections, I don't think it's got that track record yet. It does have a track record of generating huge price growth and then having huge corrections as well. So very different asset to gold. So I can understand why people might allocate a small portion of their capital to it. It's exciting to watch, you know, it clearly is, but uh, it's a very different investment from gold, most especially in terms of how it behaves as an asset. And that's important, I think, for people to keep in mind when they're working out which one they might want to include in their portfolio, or if they want to include both, the balance between the two. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So on social media, we follow each other on Twitter, sure. which is a, a love for, <laughs> for the, the FinTwit side of things, which is also a highly amusing area as well. And I think a lot of social media is seen as being toxic, but uh, FinTwit is um, a lot of great fun. It is. I'd recommend it to listeners. <laughs> and I think Australian Shareholders Association has come out as one of the top FinTwit accounts yep. recently. Yep. Yeah. So that's uh, something worth keeping in mind, that there is a lot of good sense there as well. However, I noticed that you shared a story or a graph that came from First Links, an article in First Links about the number of market falls over the last few years. And uh, in the last 100 years, there have been 44 falls of over 10%, meaning equity investors should expect one every couple of years. And a 50% fall has happened every 25 years or so. What's this mean to you? Oh, look, I think it's just the, you know, volatility is the price you've got to pay to enjoy the long-term capital growth that, you know, shares as an asset class deliver and, of course, the income streams they deliver along the way. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much technological know-how we as human beings develop or have to help us. You know, we are driven by greed and by fear in the short term and markets are emotional. You know, I think it was Buffett or Graham that said, you know, in the short run, they're a voting machine. In the long run, they're a weighing machine. So it's no surprise that markets are volatile, you know, both to the downside and and to the upside in as much as it relates to gold. Again, going back to the point I made earlier, one of the beauties of gold is that it's negatively correlated to equities when they fall and it's positively correlated to equities when they rise. So when share markets are going up, 
Gold actually tends to go up as well, just doesn't go up by as much as the share market. Mm. However, when share market's going down, that's when gold often really comes to the fore. And if you think about this from a kind of behavioural perspective, and, and one of the reasons why I think gold can be really valuable in a portfolio is, you know, if you're sitting on a, a big equity position and the equity market drops 20, 25% or even 10%, you know, you're nervous, you're a bit upset, you know, you can write it out. And a lot of investors are good enough to write it out. But it's very difficult to go and put more money on the table and take advantage of that correction because you're already going, oh, my portfolio's dropped. Everything's right? gone. <laughs> That's right. Whereas if you've owned some gold and gold's done what it historically does, which has gone up by you know a quite significant amount in that equity market correction, you could even go, you know what, I'm going to trim some of the profit I made on gold and I'm going to use that to top up some of my equity holdings because your, your overall portfolio is not going to have fallen by as much if you've had that gold allocation, assuming things play out like they have historically with, with gold rising to offset some of those share market losses. And there's a client of ours we work with who runs this very simple strategy with their portfolio where their kind of baseline, for want of a better term, is to have 25% of their money in cash, bonds, in gold, and in equities. And gold and equities are the two volatile parts of that portfolio. The cash doesn't return much, but it's stable. The bonds doesn't return a huge amount either now, but also pretty stable. And what they tend to do is you know, if gold's 25% of the portfolio and seller equities, if equities have a big rally and gold, you know, doesn't do much, they'll trim some equity holdings and buy some more gold and vice versa. And if you look at that over the long run, it does two things. One, it actually helps add to your overall returns. But more importantly, you actually have much less volatility in your overall portfolio because you've got these two things that are kind of acting as counterweights to each other. I find that a really interesting way of looking at the market and a really interesting way to sort of invest because you're you're still participating in the upside that both gold and equities deliver over the long run, but you're doing it in a less volatile way. A mining analyst that I know is very bullish on silver. He sees this as being more of an inflation hedge than gold, but it's really underperformed over the last few months, hasn't it? You know, here we are speaking in, in February 2022. Yeah, silver's had a, a sort of rougher 12 months, really, mm. but it's also had a great two years. It's doubled since the kind of roughly March low in 2020. So it always depends on the time frame you're looking at. A lot of people, and, and I'm very sympathetic to this view, suspect or expect that silver will outperform in the years ahead. When I say outperform, as in it'll rise by more than gold will. And there's a handful of reasons for that, starting very simply with the price ratio between the two. So a lot of people look at what's called the gold-silver ratio. He mentioned that, that once this ratio hits a certain amount, you want to be buying silver. Correct. Yeah. 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 And so for listeners, it's very simple. You know, if the gold-silver ratio is 80, which is roughly where it is today, it means you can buy 80 ounces of silver with one ounce of gold. Now, over the extreme long run, it's averaged somewhere closer to 50. And in periods where silver's really done well, it's dropped as low as 30, you know, and sometimes even a fraction lower than that. Mm. Now, at the height of the COVID pandemic, the ratio went at one point above 100 to 1, meaning you could buy more than 100 ounces of silver with just one ounce of gold. That had not happened in 100 years. So I'm very sympathetic to the idea that you know, there'll be some mean reversion here, and that's bullish for silver. What you also tend to find is because silver is a, a smaller asset class than gold is, when precious metals are having a bull market run, it just takes less money to move silver, if that makes sense. Mm. So it often outperforms to the upside just off the back of that. And then I think there's a third factor, which is you know pretty relevant in the here and now, maybe hasn't always been a factor in the past. And that is that as we sort of look to transition to 
you know, let's call it a greener energy future, net zero initiatives, lower carbon emissions, et cetera, for certain commodities, and silver is one of them, you know, ironically, you know, people think of being pro lower carbon emissions, greener future, you'd think you're sort of anti-mining almost, but you're actually going to need a lot of certain Mm. commodities to, Mm. to make this transition happen. Silver is one of them. So there's a view that as a monetary metal, if we're in an environment where things like gold do well, silver will do well because it'll tag gold along for the ride, then when you just get this industrial play and this, you know, particularly this kind of ESG, you know, net zero carbon friendly initiatives, that's going to be bullish for silver as well. So I think there's a case to be made that silver could very well outperform gold in the years ahead, but it will always be a little bit more volatile than gold is. And so it doesn't play quite that distinct safe haven role that gold does in a portfolio, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Jordan, can you just go over some of the instruments that Perth Mint offers to investors who want to invest in precious metals? Sure can. Yeah, there's predominantly three ways we provide access to the market for investors. The traditional method, which is physical bars and coins that we can deliver to people or if they're in Perth, they can pick up. We also then offer what we call a depository service, which is where you not only buy gold, silver or platinum through the Perth Mint, but we hold onto it. We custody it for you as well. And there's a lot of benefits of that. Obviously, you don't have to worry about storing it yourself. You don't have to pay any freight costs to have it delivered to you or delivered back to us. And it's much, much easier to liquidate because if we're already sitting on it, you can just call us up or log into your account and sell it back to us and we'll wire you the money when you ask for it. The third option is we have an ETF on the ASX. The ticker code is PM Gold. So, you know, given the audience, most of whom own direct shares, probably the easiest way for them to buy gold from the Perth Mint is to buy PM Gold. And those units in PM Gold are backed by gold held by the Perth Mint. And the product basically tracks the Australian dollar gold price. So it was launched back in 2003, roughly 17, 18 years ago now. Over that time, the gold price in Australian dollars has done almost 9% per annum. That's exactly what the price of PM Gold has risen by as well, which is exactly what you'd expect it to do. If the gold price goes up, its price will go up. If the gold price comes down, then its price will come down as well. It's not trying to, it's not trying to outperform gold. It's just trying to track the price of gold. Jordan Alessio, thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure, Phil. Thanks for the invite. Important, please remember these podcasts are produced to provide information and education and they're not designed to provide financial advice, nor are they a recommendation to buy shares in the companies featured or discussed. The Australian Shareholders Association does not endorse or favour any specific commercial product or company. Please obtain independent professional advice before investing. We value your feedback and questions. Please contact us at share at asa.asn.au if you have any suggestions for guests or specific questions you'd like answered.